everybody. Welcome back to Beats, Rye, and Types, episode 22. We are recording back in different worlds again, sadly. We had an awesome time hanging out in person over the past couple weeks, um, but now we're back at our in our home locales. You were just listening to a song by uh, Rocky Erickson called Two-Headed Dog. It, I, I was inspired to play this song because last time we were talking about the band and, you know, the whole that whole scene, and I was thinking about other really good music films and books, and Rocky Erickson was, has, was part of both a really awesome music film and a really awesome music book. This awesome movie called You're Gonna Miss Me, um, which was a documentary about kind of more recent times. But Rocky Erickson's just a really interesting character, basically... Um, you should read the book, you should see the movie, but he was basically under the influence of a lot of drugs, but also probably partially schizophrenic and had a bunch of really hard times there, but produced some really intensely amazing music, um, both as part of the 13th Floor Elevators and then later um, in his solo stuff. And he just made like kind of a comeback recently and did a couple newer albums um, with the Okerville River as his backing band, which were also really, really good, and people should check those out too. Um, but yeah, Mike definitely introduced me to the world, definitely the world of the 13th Floor Elevators and some of the out, out there psychedelia as well. And that whole album is just so weird because it just sounds like straight rock music, and then you listen to the lyrics and you're like, whoa, what the, what the hell is going on? Two-headed dog, <laughs> two-headed dog. I've been working in the Kremlin with a two-headed dog. <laughs> It's also awesome because it's just like it sounds almost like Black Sabbath or something like that, but it predates a lot of like the, you know, what we consider like modern like metal or hard rock music. But clearly, you know, he was just ahead of his time. Yeah, Rocky Erickson is one of my one of my patron patron saints of music. Thirteen <laughs> Floor Elevators are amazing. They basically like developed a psychedelic music rock music scene in the like sixty five sixty six in Texas, like completely independently of what was going on in any other place. And they do take some credit for being the first like fully lysergic rock uh, scene. The Thirteenth Floor Elevators is it's such a, it's so incredible because they were constantly being like pursued and harassed because they had like long hair and were like super weird. And the 13th Floor Elevators is just one of the greatest of all time. Features an electric jug player. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. F- fuck with that. You definitely can't. <laughs> you can't. And you don't even try. It's impossible. <laughs> you should, you, you kind of skip something though. You should explain what an electric jug player is. Uh, well, it's like you, this guy, um, one of the members of the 13th Floor Elevators, his instrument was so like. If you've ever heard the expression jug band, like a jug, the instrument, a jug is literally like a ceramic jug. And at different heights, when you like blow into it, it produces a different sound. Like kind of if you blow into the top of a bottle, like. <laughs> like that. So I played the jug, but it was a bottle of Diet Coke, which you know is obviously what it is if you know me at all. But anyway, he took that sound and electrified it by like miking it and then running the result of that through a delay. So Aaron, you should definitely in post-production do a little <laughs> Yeah. Put a little <laughs> delay on my on my horn playing. No, but anyway, yeah, so that was it's just it's just such a strange and amazing band. And uh Rocky Erickson was very heavily inspired by soul music and Otis Redding and like wanted to have the best uh like R&B scream of all time which some people say he did and he was like 
17 when he wrote You're Gonna Miss Me, which is a really, really incredible, beautiful song. Yeah, what's on the agenda today? What are we going to talk yeah, about? Yeah, so speaking of two-headed dogs, <laughs> how do you like that for a segue? We were talking about kind of polyglotism and, you know, kind of what what inspires us to seek outside of our normal day-to-day work. You know, Emma, Brie, and I both, I think, are people who enjoy learning from as many different places as we possibly can, but that is something that I think takes a lot of effort and conscious action to do. So I was wondering kind of, MRB, what kind of inspires you to to look outside your the things that you normally do and, and be a polyglot? That's an interesting way to like at least start start a conversation because it was a it was a kind of a profound thing for me the first time that I realized that there were like were other types of programming languages. Like I only knew about imperative and object-oriented programming languages. Those are the only types of languages that I really grew up using, uh, you know, and that's all I ever knew. And then when I found out that there were other paradigms or other types of languages, that in itself kind of motivated me because I was immediately like, if I can't do that exactly like this in my language or whatever I use, like I can at least bring some of those disciplines back for me. So I think the number one thing is to like steal good ideas from other places and use the bits of pieces that bits and pieces that you can in your own work uh, is like a really cool benefit of of seeking alternate viewpoints. And I mean, but I always try to be careful and say that like. I do it like for the sake of doing it often and that is fine because it doesn't have to have like a <laughs> it doesn't have to have like some kind of outcome or application like you don't you definitely aren't going to be interested in every other alternative viewpoint that you pursue right like you have to like try some stuff that you think is you know try it look at it i don't like the way that looks i'm gonna try it make sure i have this question about it and that kind of thing and then like you do that and then every once in a while you find something that you think is interesting it's not like i you know it's not like everything you look at is like worth pursuing or interesting or worth your time you know like that that's kind of the like you said that's i guess kind of the work that goes into it but that's part of the joy of it too. I mean, it's really the unknown and knowing that, you know, you can, there are so many like kind of endless possibilities to pursue is one of the more, one of the more fun things about it. So basically steal, steal good ideas, you know, (laughs) see how other people implement things, you know, notice the way that, you know, the system and architecture that they've chosen to design their language or system or whatever it is kind of like is influenced by the constraints and influences other constraints and stuff like that i mean i i think it's cool i always like opening stuff up and seeing how it works so i guess that's kind of like the for the sake of it thing what about you that was a little rambly but what about you no no i mean i think the core part of what you're saying is is rings really true but it's also just like i think in order to steal things the thing that you're stealing from has to have some kind of more interesting perspective than something or different perspective than what you're used to or some it has to teach you to see something in a different light basically and that's why that's why i'm always inspired to to pursue learning different things whether it's new languages or new ways of cooking whatever it is it's about 
It's about that act of stepping outside what you're used to and being like, oh, okay, if I look at it from this completely different way or use this completely different tool, maybe I can learn something completely different and fill this, you know, endless growing cup of knowledge that we're trying to pursue. And so that's that's one thing that I've always found interesting. Like it would be really it would be a thing to like just every time a new language comes out or a new tool or whatever and try to test that and see how it fits in with your, you know, current way of thinking and, you know, just say yay or nay and pass on it or whatever. But it's actually more useful if you narrow it down to things that you know are going to provide some sort of like different way of thinking and and pursue that as a, as a goal rather than just like oh this like gives me some new benefit because it's faster or it's more robust or it's concurrent whatever like also in the world of programming like in the case of languages certain languages are just like meant to solve kind of very specific problems right so it, it, it's it's kind of a given that you're not going to like use necessarily everything that you touch and like you said i think being balanced about your approach to that is is important. I mean, I I kind of have uh, you know over the last probably ten or fifteen years, I've sort of def- begun to more and more like kind of define myself by, you know, that I have a very diverse set of interests and tastes, and that I'm you know very willing to like try new things and uh, explore new things, and it's like you know it's exhausting uh, to do <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it is. So I think that that's kind of the other that's the other essence of of like my take on polyglotism is that it is it is kind of part of who I really that's I, I very strongly identify with that idea that it's like very important to try different things, do new things, try to be as okay as possible with liking things even if other people like them, you know, <laughs> like don't fall into those <laughs> kinds of traps. But what about you? Does that is this like an you know? I think obviously to some extent you feel that way too. But is that like a newer thing for you? Were you always like that? Like, how? yeah. Well, it's hard because I'm at, on one end. Like, I really want to be able to identify with with the things that I like. You know, we've talked about that before too. But just like this idea that okay, I'm you know I'm a Ruby programmer and I really like Ruby and I love that community and want to be a part of a community that I really trust and care about and want to improve and all of that but at the same time yeah I'm I've always kind of been a person who like is constantly just trying to pursue the next thing whatever that is and just like basically learn how to do anything that I'm interested in like if I find an interest and I'm like oh I want I'm interested in sausage I'm interested in bread it's like whatever that is I'm gonna like do that to the follow that to whatever the natural conclusion is which usually is never happens like it's just whatever <laughs> it's just whatever it's just a constant keep going thing yeah there's some kind of balance there where it's like I really want to I always want to be a part of a lot of different things and but now, yeah, it's like over the past couple of years, it's like I've spoken at a bunch of conferences for a lot of different communities and things, and they're not diametrically opposed. I was talking to someone about how I missed the early days of JSConf. Actually, I think it was David Nolan. We, David Nolan and I were talking at, at QCon the other week about you know how JSConf, the first couple of years, I mean, I haven't been in uh, two or three years now, but at some point it hit this place where everyone there was actually just doing JavaScript full-time, um, which is like, it's cool. I love JavaScript and I'm really stoked that we built a community and built a, like a, 
an entire world around people who are you know can do that as their full-time job that's awesome but there was this really awesome thing in the early days of NYCJS and JSConf where JS was like everyone's secondary language or it was something that they did and they were excited about, but everyone has been, had been coming from different communities. There were a bunch of PHP people, there were .NET people, there were Ruby people, there were Java people, and there were like Mr. Olive, there were like C and assembly people, you know, and all of these different ideas. And having not just a polyglot person, but a polyglot community really made it possible for JavaScript to become what it was. But I feel like a lot of that has kind of been lost now that all these people, it's not lost completely at all. It's just when I've attended these events and gone to things, everyone's just like, this is what we do all the time. So there's not as much opportunity to pull things like you're saying from other places and steal things. You know, there's something exciting about that. And I'm sure that's what Strange Loop is like too, like we were talking about last time, this idea that there are all these people coming from different places and having like a polyglot community of, of people who are just excited to learn from what other people are doing. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's like an inflection point that happens in a community, you know, and since Strange Loop is kind of defined on keeping things diverse and interesting, that it makes it easier for them to kind of keep that going, or at least their mission is more clearly defined. Yeah. I, I mean, another interesting thing that, uh, another thing I thought about in the vein of this uh, subject was, is like, I talk a lot about jazz music and uh, people have often said to me, like, you know, um, I can't listen, I can't listen to it um, or I don't understand it or like, I'm not X enough to listen to it or I'm too X to listen to that. I don't understand it or whatever. And it, and, and I think that that's something that's worth addressing because it's challenging to gain a proper appreciation for it as a form of music, like jazz specifically. And there's lots of other forms of music that are like that. Like techno music is kind of like that too, right? There's very poppy, like saccharine techno music. You, you can be a very uncritical consumer of techno music, but there are some people that are quite critical about it, right? Uh, the same is true of jazz, of jazz music where... I mean, actually, the same is true of jazz, right? There's really poppy jazz, like, and if maybe sometimes if you draw that line for people and say, hey, like, Frank Sinatra is really like jazz or, you know, Ray Charles is jazz if you, like, squint at it. So you should, like, just <laughs> stop, stop, just take the singer away and think about the, the people playing in the background, right? And, like, so anyway, my point is that I, I like it so much because I tried, I kind of tried really hard to like it, you know? Like, there's certain, I had an attraction to it, and I listened to it, but I didn't understand it at first. And I still am not, I'm a somewhat atypical, obsessive jazz listener in that I'm not, like I don't play the music or really understand the music thoroughly. Or the stereotype of a jazz listener is that they also play jazz, um, you know, or they like at least understand like the chords and shit the when they're listening. Yeah, it. yeah. When I, which I have a rough understanding of, but I'm not listening to it and like noting the particular you know, A minor seventh to whatever, <laughs> you know, diminished, diminished uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, transition. Have you had an experience like that where you saw something and you didn't get it or like it at first and then you had, then you keep kept at it and then it became something that you were very fond of? I mean, almost everything in my life now, you know, I, I think, well, it's anything that any, there are lots of things that I really appreciate that take effort to appreciate right that's what that's basically what you're saying it's like there's a lot of things where there's like a, a, a steep learning curve where it's it, it it takes a while 
to get over that hump of of being from being a novice to being someone who can actually appreciate it and there are many 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 things in this universe that are worth you know pushing above that hump to do for me uh, like i was just when you're saying that i was thinking about wine wine is something that i've had a exposure to my entire life though early years it was of the manischewitz variety (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't until i um you know probably until I met my wife, my wife and was uh, in college and beyond, you know, actually once it was in college, we moved beyond Manischewitz to the Carlo Rossi variety of wine that came from a bag or a jug, which is, you know, it, it gets you drunk. It does its job, but <laughs> it's, it is one of those things similar to jazz. And actually people often pair wine and jazz. So there are two things where it's like, you need a lot of effort to, to just, taste a lot and i think it's the same with jazz right it's like the the way you learn to appreciate it is by just doing it a lot meaning tasting wine or listening to jazz or gaining an appreciation of what you like and what you don't like jeff uh one of our friends and he's the one of the wine directors at del posto and he took but he had this great phrase where he was just like you know there is no wrong way to appreciate wine. It's bullshit if anyone tells you that you can't appreciate this crappy wine or whatever. Not even crappy. It's bullshit if anyone tells you, like, you don't like, if you like this one, it's not as good as this other one. It's like appreciating wine is all, all about yourself and learning what you like and what you don't like. And the only way to gain that is through tasting a lot. And that can be really fun, but you just do it. You just taste a little bit, taste taste a little more, and learn what you like and don't like. And you don't have to know every detail about every vineyard and where all these places come from. You just learn what you like. And once you get over that hump and being able to discern between different styles and just whatever, it becomes really fun. You know, whenever I have an opportunity to taste good wine, I'll do it. Same thing with listening to good music. Yeah, I mean, it's funny for jazz music in specific, like, you know, it doesn't have words. So people are like, how do you listen to it? It doesn't have words, (laughs) right? But the thing is that it doesn't, it doesn't often, but that's okay. It's just like, it's a different kind of listening. It's a different kind of listening. It can be, you can listen to it very actively, even though it doesn't have it. But it's funny, the in the conversations that you'll have with people, because, you know, I I try to evangelize it as a music, as a form of music. I love it and think everyone should appreciate it and don't want it to go away. So when people show interest, I often, you know, kind of give them an outsized response from like, well, listen to these, like, five things you know and if you can't if if there's nothing there that really strikes you at all then you know maybe listen again and and then uh see what happens or i I think that that's an interesting i think that's an interesting thing you can do it late listeners dear listeners of beats ryan types you can (laughs) you can listen to enroll in my how to listen to jazz course and i'll teach you how to listen to jazz music (laughs) yeah i mean it's also i think both wine and jazz too it's like one of those things where it's like there's just so many details and it seems overwhelming at first. Like, oh, like a big jazz aficionado knows like all the thousands of different jazz musicians and what instruments they played and what bands they played with and with who and, you know, what kind of sub genre of jazz they play in. But you don't have to know all of that to appreciate it. You can just appreciate it for the music in and of it itself and same thing with wine like if it tastes good that's awesome you like it that's great you know you don't have to know the terroir and all the details of that though 
once you get into it and you like it, if you want to learn that, that can heighten your appreciation of it. But it, it's not to say that you can't just listen to good music or drink good wine or good coffee or whatever and enjoy it for, for the essence of what it is in and of itself. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely, I think on the topic of being a, a, a poly whatever polyglot in, in life and seeking other things, it's, 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 it's funny that one way, one way I've think, been thinking about it is like, you know, if you don't, if you don't change or explore new like tastes, then you'll be like 40 years old and have like basically the same taste that you had when you were like 12 you know which maybe like came from like your older brother or something like that (laughs) and he's a jerk so (laughs) you shouldn't listen to what he says you should do it you know you should try i i i I get the most pleasure out of that Um, i mean and it is it is frustrating you're like trying something it's not for you you don't really want to admit it you know and (laughs) and that kind of thing but that's kind of it's worth it it's worth it definitely I, you you said before that you know we're people who define ourselves by our tastes I think is the phrase you used and I think that that's true and I would definitely say that that's something to be proud of and some people call that snobbery but I don't think it's just it's just we have we have a certain aesthetic that we like to keep um, but at the same time I, I try to keep the walls around my taste to be like fences and not like brick walls do you know what i mean like i'm really happy when new stuff seeps in and when um when i can widen it to include new things that i didn't think possible before um that's true for music you know like um i've had a lot of i would say music mentors in my life mike included and people who have just introduced me to a ton of new stuff it's awesome to just try try new things basically in music or <laughs> yeah. food or programming whatever it is yeah you can't go wrong i mean i, I it's just uh every every kind of thing you do like that just kind of opens up more possibilities it doesn't doesn't shut them down all right well that was fun um we have some planned guests coming up in the not so distant future so just when you get tired of listening to us giggling at each other hopefully we'll bring other um voices giggling into so the obnoxious laugh supercut is coming soon <laughs> so we'll have to we'll almost have been yeah wow it'll almost be six months of us recording these almost yeah it'll be week. half a year for four more episodes and it'll be half a year all right we'll exciting. have to celebrate yeah all right take it easy everyone see you next time peace